Happy Saints. If you have your Bible, please open it to 1 John chapter 5. We will be looking at verses 6 through 12. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. One Christian author uh, says that My faith didn't remove the pain, but it got me through the pain. Trust in God didn't diminish or vanquish the anguish, but it enabled me to endure it. That's that's an amen quote for you. Christian faith isn't weakness. It's not weakness. Christian faith is not pie in the sky. It's not us gathering together to kick the can down the road one more week. Christian faith is not silence. It's not worthless. Christian faith is not the last resort of the hopeless. That's not Christian faith. Christian faith is really a gift. It's a gift. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So if you are, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior this morning, then, then you have that faith, that faith that is a gift. If Jesus is your Redeemer and King this morning, then you have that faith, a, a Christian faith, a, a faith that is a gift from God. And this faith that we have, that there are details about that faith that can be embraced and shared with others. First John 5 gives us some of those details. It's not all the details. It's some of those details. And if you can remember the past sermons, We know that Christians have a faith that comes after new birth, a faith that continues to believe that Jesus is the Christ, a faith that continues to love God and and love others, a a faith that obeys, a faith that overcomes. And Christians also have a faith that testifies, that testifies. All of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus have a faith that testifies. And this detail is in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. This is God's holy word to his beloved people. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in him. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. I'll read that again. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. This is God's word, not Alex's word. And if you're upset by it, go talk to him. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we call upon you to continue to move within 
this service. Um, Sunday mornings is just one day out of seven, Lord. We don't just need you here today. We need you the other days of the week, too. Not just to get through a service. We need you, Spirit, Monday through Saturday, too. We need you every day of the week, every moment of our life. And I thank you, Spirit, that you are with us even if we don't acknowledge it, even if we don't sense it. You're with us. You are there. The power from on high. The same spirit that came at Pentecost. The same spirit that lives in each and every one of us who know Jesus and save in faith. Holy Spirit, be our counselor. Be our helper. Let everyone here receive the, the word that need to receive today to, to be encouraged to go back out into the world for one more week. Do this for the benefit of God's beloved in this particular body and also do it for his glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Think about it. Take a moment. Is sound only sound if people hear it? Or can sound exist even if it's not observed and perceived by humanity? What do you believe? You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus was born of a virgin. That he's both God and man. That he was baptized by John the Baptist. That he was crucified. That he resurrected three days later. Now, all the truthfulness of those statements dependent upon the observation and perception of humanity. Or are they true, even though none of us was there to perceive them? Because none of us were alive when those things happened. Now, are they true, even though you were never there to witness them? What do you believe? Christian. Non-Christian. The biblical teachings about Jesus aren't dependent upon our observation and perception to be true. Humanity doesn't make those things true. They're true because God's word tells us so. They're true because these events actually happen in history. And there are witnesses who can testify to the truthfulness of who Jesus is. They testify that he came into the world to accomplish a plan of redemption. And a witness, what is a witness? A witness gives testimony and evidence that something actually happened. A witness testifies, like siblings sometimes do when they testify to their parents and grandparents on each other. Well, Mom, let me tell you what so-and-so did. Yeah, they did it. I saw it with my own eyes. He did go get an extra snack. I'm the eyewitness, Mom. He did it. I testify. I put my hand on the Bible. It's true. In the same manner, there are witnesses that testify about who Jesus is in the passage before us. And these are not human witnesses. They're not human. Look at verses, verse 7. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. The, 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 the three that testify is similar to, the, to something that Deuteronomy 13 says that, that a cause must be, a charge must be based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. It's, this passage is similar to what Jesus says in the gospel according to John. In your law, the testimony of two witnesses is true. 
I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. The testimony of these three witnesses don't contradict each other. All three agree that Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. That's what they agree upon. That Jesus is who he claims to be. These three witnesses can be separated into two categories. Historical witnesses and supernatural witnesses. A historical witness, a supernatural witness. There are three, three, two historical witnesses. The witness of the blood and the witness of the water. Look at verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. What in the world is he talking about, Pastor? Water and blood bearing witness? How, how is that possible? How can water and blood testify? I'm lost. I'm confused. What's going on? Jesus came by the water and the blood. That's past tense. It's something that has already happened. You see, the water and the blood refer to his baptism and his death upon the cross. His baptism and and his death are two historical events from Jesus' earthly ministry. And John said he came through them. The baptism and the crucifixion, crucifixion testify that Jesus is the Christ. But do we believe it? That he is the son of God. That he is the suffering servant who dies for the sins of the world. And human observation and perception don't make those things true. Just because we weren't there to witness them, does it mean they're not true and it didn't happen? Okay? If everything we believe in, we have to see it firsthand, you never have faith. You never believe in anything. These events are true because they actually happen. And they bear witness to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Do you know what the Bible teaches about his baptism? And do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus' baptism? It took place before he started his earthly ministry. Did you know that? He went to be baptized by a man called John the Baptist. He went to the Jordan River for that to happen. And when he comes to John the Baptist, John tried to prevent Jesus from receiving his baptism. He said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Christ says to him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And what happened after he was baptized? The word says the heavens opened and the spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That's the amen statement. Okay, thank you. You see, Jesus didn't become the son of God at his baptism. Some believe that. He was commissioned. He was declared to be God's son at his baptism. That's what, that, that's what God is doing when that voice came from heaven. He's declaring that this man, Jesus from Nazareth, is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That happened at his baptism. And he was also commissioned at his baptism to begin a work of redemption, a ministry of redemption. Jesus' whole ministry is a ministry of redemption. It ain't just feeding all the sick people. He's doing that for a purpose. It's for redemption. That's what his ministry was about. And that's what his, his baptism testifies to. He is the son who has been given a work and ministry of redemption. But do we believe that? 
the next historical witness is the blood. Do you know what the Bible teaches you about Jesus' death? And do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Well, honestly, as Christian, when you think about that, that story, his passion, if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, how could someone really die and, 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 and raise again in three days? Is that really possible? That doesn't sound like that can actually happen. You can't run it through the scientific method, okay? Either it's true or it's not. Either, either it happens or the Bible is a lie. And we're all, and, and God have mercy on all of us if none of this stuff is true. People should pity us above all people. The Bible says he was beaten, that he was crucified, that he died and he was buried, and three days later he rose again. And Jesus told his disciples, he says, this, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus didn't die a hopeless victim. Amen, Pastor. Do you know that? He could have got down from that cross at any moment. He could have. He was sacrificed in order to pay the price for our sins. He, God poured out all of his wrath upon his only son in order to redeem sinful humanity. You need to think about that for a moment. Please know that Jesus hanging on that cross, him down on that cross, is the father pouring all of his judgment upon his son so he won't have to pour it on you. Now, that's love. That's love for you. Jesus' death bears witness to the fact that he is the Christ, the Savior of sinners. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. As one hymn says, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains, and that blood would never lose its power. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible teaches you about the blood of Christ and his death. That those who are under it, all your guilty stains are gone, man. Gone. Your dead man clothes, your dead woman clothes. Jesus takes them from you and gives you his clothes, his righteousness. And that's what you walk around in all day. His righteousness. Styling and profiling in the righteousness of Jesus. That's what God sees over you. You're his. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? So do you accept the, the testimony of Jesus' baptism and his death? The testimony of the water and, and the blood? Do you, or do you question the authenticity because you weren't there to witness them? And some people do. How can you trust a testimony that you weren't really there to see? How can you trust them? You see, unbelief and doubts aren't unique struggles to non-believers. Christians struggle with doubts and unbelief as well. We do. Each of the young kids here, when you come to faith in Jesus, you're going to have struggles of doubt and unbelief at some point in your faith journey. We all do. Be honest. Don't, don't be real. Don't fake it. I have struggles and I have doubts. And, but you know what we can do with those things? You know what happens with those things? The Father doesn't shame you because of them. He doesn't guilt you because of your doubts and your, and your unbelief. He doesn't say shame on you. He doesn't say get it together. 
He has given us the freedom to take those things to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, minister to my doubts. He's your helper for a reason. Okay? Sometimes we ain't got to go read another Tim Keller book. Just pray to the Spirit. Pray to the Spirit. Don't need another best more Bible study. Pray to the Spirit. Spirit, help my doubts. Help my unbelief. You don't always have to be dependent upon other Christians. The Spirit lives in you too. Pray to Him. Again, it's all about how do you think the Father handles your unbelief and your doubts? Do you think he's shaking his head from glory at you? No, he's saying, my child, I understand. I know you agree about this. I know you have struggles. And it's okay. That's why I've given you the spirit. Call out to him. And he will minister to you. I hope you realize that Justification by faith was just the beginning of God's work in your life. He didn't stop there. He didn't just say, they saved, now go ahead. No, he's still at work. That means he doesn't only care about your internal soul. He cares about your body. He cares about your emotional health. He cares about it when you're sick. He cares about every inch of your existence. What kind of father would he be if he only cared about part of who we are? What kind of parent would you be if you only cared about your child's salvation and you don't care about the fact that they're, if they're eating or have clothing? You wouldn't be a good parent. So don't treat God that way. He cares about every inch of who you are as your father. And that's a good thing. A wonderful thing. And you can take those things to him even when you're struggling with doubt. Even when you're struggling with unbelief. The Father can minister to that. You know why he ministers to that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. The testimony of Jesus' baptism and death are historically true. And human observation and perception don't make them true. But the Holy Spirit is the one who works in us in such a way that we can accept the testimony of the word and blood. The Spirit is the third witness in the text before us. He's the super, supernatural witness. And this is something that Christians in North America got to come to embrace, the supernatural aspects of our faith. It's highly supernatural. It ain't just in theology books and sermons. It's supernatural. And that means allow God to do things in your life that you can't understand. For some of us, if we can't understand it, then we question it all the time. Now, there's some things that are just nonsense, okay? Now, you need to question that. But spirit, give the spirit room to move in you supernaturally. Give him that. Do you know what the Bible teaches about the spirit? And do you believe it? He's the third person in of the Trinity. Our God, a Trinitarian God. One God in three persons. My little theologians, my kids, how many persons are in the Trinity? What are their names? Yes, yes, yes. And these three are one God, same in substance, equal in power and glory. Did you know the Holy Spirit is just as powerful as the Father and the Son? And he testifies. He bears witness. 
Look at verse 6b. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Because the spirit is the truth. And this phrase, the spirit is the truth, is a phrase that, that I think John received from Jesus because Jesus told the disciples in John 15, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about me. Not about himself. The spirit glorifies Jesus. He bears witness about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And he helps Jesus' people. He's the seal upon their hearts, convinces their hearts that the word and the, the testimony, the word and blood are true. And all these agree that Jesus is the Christ, that Christ died for the sins of the world, for our sins and for your sins. They all bear witness to those things. But do we believe it? Many Americans voted. Many Americans voted this week. They voted for men and women. Some voted for certain political parties. Some voted for certain amendments. Some blindly voted a straight ticket. Some voted just to be against someone. Some people voted for a person that's dead. And some voted for a person that's in jail. Others voted for a particular person and party because they believe their testimony promises and gender. That's why you voted for them. You see, we easily receive the testimony and promises from political parties and candidates who we consider to be on our team. We easily receive the testimony because we say that, that's credible, that, that, that's, that, that, that's, that's truthful, that that's a reliable agenda that I can get behind. And we often do this without question or suspicion, without debate, without wanting proof or evidence. And John says, if we can receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. If we can easily receive the testimony of people, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God he has borne concerning his son. The historical witness of Jesus' baptism and blood, the supernatural witness of the Holy Spirit, there are actually one witness, and that is the testimony of God himself. It's his testimony about his own son. It's actually his testimony. And what is God's testimony? Look at verse 11. And this is a testimony that he gave us eternal life, and that life is in his son. That's his testimony. The eternal life that, that God gives us, he gives to those who have been born again. Those who have saving faith in Jesus have this life. Those who have surrendered to him as Lord and Savior have this life. Those who trust him has this life. And those who are in union with him has this life. It's a gift that God has given to those who come to Christ and save in faith. And eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ alone, period. And please understand, that statement is going to be offensive to a lot of people. You're not going to get a lot of likes by certain people on, on social media when you make that statement. Please know that. Because there's a heavy price was paid so sinful humanity can be offered the free gift of eternal life. Paul says in Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus has shed blood. Is that price. And his blood isn't given in monthly installments to pay off your railway. It's paid in full. He died once. And that's enough. As one song says, that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He washed it away, all my sin and all my shame. And that's the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and that life is in his son. So the question for you, do you know the son? Do you know the son? Are you in union with the son? Is he your savior and your Lord? And that is true. Then you have this life. You have it. You see, there isn't any shades of gray when it comes to the gospel. There isn't. When it comes to the testimony God has borne concerning his son, there is no shades of gray. You can't be on the fence. You can't be neutral. You can't be balanced. You can't be an undecided independent. You can't function in some middle space with Jesus. You're either in him or not. You either have the son or not. You're either saved or not. You're either standing on Jesus for salvation or you're not. That's black and white. And again, a lot of people do not like that about Christianity. Because we're not a shades of gray faith. You either in or out. And the Bible is unashamed in that. There's only one name given by which people, people may be saved. And that is Jesus Christ. All other names are sinking sand. So if you ain't standing on Jesus, you're sinking. Sinking. If he ain't your Lord and Savior, you're sinking. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? Verse 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of, does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's black and white. That's God's testimony. That's his agenda. That's his promise. That's his campaign slogan. And we got to accept it. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And you don't have to go to the Greek to understand what that means. It's clear. As clear as day. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone by which we must be saved. So if we can easily receive the testimony of fallible people, how much more a God who is holy and perfect and good faithful and true how much more verse 10b says whoever does not believe god has made him a liar because he does not believe in the testimony god has borne concerning his son have you ever thought about that 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 those who don't believe the gospel is telling god you're a liar you are a liar that's what he said that's what the bible says here you are calling God a liar because you're saying what he says about his son isn't true. That's a bold statement from John. He cuts right through the minutiae. He says, you are telling God to his face, you are a liar. Liar. For those who don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. You can stop calling him a liar to his face right now. Just confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Confess him as Redeemer and King. Acknowledge and repent of your sin. And when you do that, you will receive everlasting life once you do that. You will receive it. You will receive that life. It's so humbling to realize that there is nothing you can do for God to accept you. Other than to receive his son as Lord and Savior. 
that is what accept, makes you acceptable in his sight. For some of us, that's a great joy because we know if it's just up to me, boy, I'm in trouble. I, I thank God for Jesus because if I'm taking my crummy resume up, to, it, it, it's my resume, Lord. It don't look too good. It's a sad day. God, this is this is God's kindness to us. This is God's kindness to humanity, giving you the opportunity today to come to him, and not just for adults, for kids, too. There's only one saver from you. And it ain't Santa Claus. It ain't the Easter Bunny. It's Jesus and him alone. Ain't your, it ain't the education you're going to have one day. It ain't the big house you may have one day. It ain't your success one day. It's Jesus. Because all that stuff, when you die, don't, you don't take with you. All your hard work, someone else is going to benefit that when you go to glory. They're going to live it up. Because thank God for daddy. Thank God for mama. They work hard. Now I can live it up. But don't you realize, because Jesus died, you can live it up now. Because of his friendless work, you can live it up now. Living before a God who you don't have to seek approval for is a wonderful thing. Living for a God who says, that's my son, that's my daughter, is a wonderful thing. Living for a God who, who, who already has you in the grip of his hands is a wonderful thing. It's peaceful. It's peaceful. Most Christians don't have peace because they're still trying to earn what they already got. That's why they don't have peace. That's why they don't have no joy. Because they're lit trying to earn what the Father has already given you. He can't give you any more of his love. You have it all right now. All of it. And it doesn't leak out. Okay? It's not a hole in the cistern. Let's be God like tricking you. I'm going to trick him. I'm going to love him. Then I'm going to not love him. That's not what he does. That's not what he does. For some of you, you just need to relax. <laughs> relax. And live your life. Live your life. Can you do that, Christian? Can you just live your life knowing you already have favor? See, the reverse happens when you begin to understand that. When you realize you have favor, you want to live for God more. That's funny how it works. When your, when your sons and daughters realize you love them, your love for them is not based upon their performance, they want to please you more. But when they think you only love them when they get good grades and when they're good in sports, that messes, up, that messes them up. That's not love. That's not love. Love is not based upon performance. Not based upon right doing right and doing wrong. You love your kids because they're your kids. Because you birthed them and brought them into their existence. The same thing applies to God. His love for us is never based upon what we do. Not based upon our goodness and our righteousness. It's based upon who we are. We are his sons and daughters. His sons and daughters. Live that way. You're not orphans. You're not. Your name has changed. Your family has changed. Your circumstances has changed. Okay? 
you got to believe that stuff. Otherwise, I'm just a motivational speaker. And you're going to go back out and do what you want to do. You have to believe that in your heart. That when you look in the mirror in the morning, you're not some nasty sinner. You're a son or daughter of God. Now, you may struggle with sin, but that's not who you are. And some of you can't get free from your sin struggles because you think that's who you are. That's part of your problem. I'm a son and daughter of God. And you've got to be arrogant about that You can just, because that's who you are in Christ. That's who you are, even if you don't believe it or not. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Think about what that means. That if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if he's your God, then that testimony is in you, is in all believers. It's part of us. It's part of our stories. Have you thought about that? I wish I had a a washcloth. Oh, there we go. Thank you. That'll get the sweat off my forehead. Here we go. Hard for me to focus when I'm sweating, saints. But now I can focus again. So this testimony, everything I've been talking about, the testimony from the spirit, the testimony from the, the, the blood, and the testimony from the water, John is saying that when you come to Jesus and save in faith, that testimony is in you. It's part of who you are. It's, it's, if you are a Christian, the testimony of who Jesus is lives in you. Part of your story. That's why we now have a faith that can testify. That's why we have a faith that testifies. Because of that. Now, what do you do when you see a good movie? What do you do when you visit a, a good restaurant that has a, a good meal? Yeah. What am I doing? My, my football team won yesterday. I'm testifying. And you know what? We would testify about the things that we enjoy about the experiences that we enjoy. And I don't, and we don't have to be forced to testify about those things. It comes naturally. It's word of mouth testifying. And for believers, this word of mouth testifying applies to our faith, that believers can bear witness to Jesus. We can testify to the world that he's real. Non-Christians officially cannot testify that Jesus is real. Now, God can use anybody. He spoke to a donkey. Okay? But Christians, those who have been called by God's name, can testify to the truthfulness of the gospel. We are. Christians are living and breathing testimonies of God's mercy and kindness. That's our life. We testify about that. We're walking testimonies of grace. And favor. Christians can testify to the goodness of their God. We can embrace it. We can live that. We can do that. Christians have a faith that always testifies about Jesus and not self. Christians, we don't bear witness to ourselves. But do you believe that? You can't testify about Jesus and self at the same time. Can't testify about your accomplishments and Christ's accomplishments, your goodness in Christ, your deeds in Christ, your righteousness in Christ, your ministry in Christ, your generosity in Christ, your stewardship in Christ, 
your money in Christ, your service in the church in Christ, your fight against poverty in Christ, your work for justice in Christ, your platform in Christ. Can't preach Christ himself at the same time. You see, Christians, we're not calling other people to ourselves. We are not calling lost people to be part of our social class, our social club, and our tribe. Christians bear witness to Jesus Christ and his finished work on our behalf. This is what we bear witness to. Okay? If we... If we, if, we, if we are giving people, our, if we can give people our social agenda, why can't we give them the gospel agenda too? Okay? If we're giving people advice about everything in life under the sun, can we give them a little Jesus too? All you got to do is think about your life differently. Your circumstances differently. Wherever God has you right now, you can bear witness to who he is for you. Because I guarantee you there's people there who don't know him. People there who are longing a savior. Even for you kids. You have friends that don't know, don't know Jesus on your sports teams, in your schools, in your clubs. You can be a witness to who he is to those kids. You can be a witness to Jesus. Second Corinthians 520 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. As God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Our neighbors should see Jesus in us in our actions, in our words, in our social media engagement, in our political engagement, in our schools, in our relationships, in our sports activities, in our marriages, in our families, in our disagreements. And here's the thing. The testimony you think you have is Christ's testimony. It's not ours. Because it's what he's doing in us. That's what he's doing in us. Christians have a faith that can testify to the lyrics of a song that says, Amazing grace shall always be our song. For it was grace that bought our liberty. We don't know just how he came to us, so he looked beyond our faults and saw our need. We should ever lift our eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for us. How marvelous the grace that caught our falling soul. He looked beyond our faults and saw our need. If you don't know what to tell people about Jesus, tell them that. But you have a Savior who looked beyond your issues and saw your need and did something about it. Let me tell you what he did about it. He died for me. And he died for you too. All you got to do is come and believe in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are, Lord. That you're so much wonderful than we realize. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that when we leave here today, we're walking out in favor. Not because we came to church, but because we're Christians, if we know you in faith. There's never a day of our existence when we don't stand in the favor of God. For as believers, we always have that. Every moment of our life. And we thank you for that goodness. We thank you for that, 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 that love that you have for us as your sons and daughters. And I pray for those of us who struggle to believe that. 
Those of us who struggle to, to know who you are as, our, as their father, that you, that the spirit that lives in them will help them. That they would pray to the spirit and ask the spirit, help me believe the, what is true about who I am in Christ. Help me to see my sonship and daughtership and help me to not just see it, but to walk in it and to live in it all the days of my life. Sometimes help me to walk in it today, one moment at a time. Forget about next week or next year. Help me live in it right now. <laughs> at this moment, at this time, help our unbelief right now. Now, thank you, Holy Spirit. And we can confidently say you would do that. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Let us stand as we close our service.